You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. If you were here last week, we began um, talking about the Christmas story, looking at it from the perspective of those who were there. And last week, we talked about what Mary must have gone through whenever she found out that she was going to miraculously conceive the baby Jesus. And so today, I want to look at things from the perspective of her fiancé, Joseph, and what he must have gone through at this time. Even though the, the Bible doesn't say much about uh, Joseph's role in the life of Jesus throughout his childhood, his teenage years, and so on, we do see him playing a vital role in helping bring the baby Jesus into the world, which was a day that would change the course of history forever, an event that we set our calendars by and, it, and it has become the most prominent global holiday of all time. Joseph was right in the middle of it, and nothing about it was easy or what he expected it to be. So if you have your Bibles, look with me. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin in verses 18 and 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let's pray and we'll dig into this a little bit further. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for moments like this that we get to share as a community around your word. Father, I pray in these moments all the distractions and stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I thank you. We don't have to ask you to fill this room because we know by the power of the Holy Spirit you are already here. So I pray that you would make us more aware of your presence. I pray you completely fill me in a fresh way right now because I know without your power, without your truth, without your love behind every word, I can't say anything of any significance or importance. So, Father, as we sang, you get all the glory. Show us yourself a little bit more. Allow our minds to really be transported back to this time to see what these strong people of faith went through at this time. Let us learn from their example and let us learn about your goodness. Thank you so much for all that you are, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. How many of you are familiar with the term dadgummit? Anyone? If you're not familiar, it's a term that is used whenever you don't want to cuss, but you still need to express some frustration. Now, I'm very familiar with this term because I was convinced for the greater part of my childhood that Dad Gummit was part of my legal given name. <laughs> All right. Because I couldn't get through, you know, uh, a family dinner, a church event, a gathering, or a holiday without getting at least one dadgummit, Kenneth, from my dad. And I heard it over and over again. Now, I wasn't like a deliberately rebellious child. I wasn't really a bad kid. I was a dumb kid. I really was. Like, my brother's here. He can attest. I was not the sharpest tool in the shed. I was clumsy, and I was prone to make mistakes. Um, case in point, one of the worst dad gummit Kenneths I ever got was when um, my dad got back from his first 14-month deployment in Kuwait. Um, and this was during my middle school slash high school years. And my dad had just gotten back. He'd been gone for 14 months. It was a real emotional time uh, because whenever dad left, he was taller than all of us. But we had hit our growth spurts by the time he was gone. So whenever he came back, we were now taller than him. And so we're all hugging. We're crying. We're laughing. We hold each other. It's a beautiful moment. But we don't even get out of the airport 
before I drop my dad's suitcase on his foot and get my first dad gummit, Kenneth, that quick since he had been back and underground. But you know, even as I've gotten older and somewhat wiser, there still seem to be seasons and situations of my life where no matter what I do, I can't seem to do things the right way. No matter how hard I try, the results that I expect never come, even when I seemingly do all of the right things. And I'm telling you, there's probably nothing more frustrating than whenever you do all of the right things and nothing seems to go the right way or the way you expect it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever worked your tail off at work and then you just seem to keep getting passed up for that promotion? You know, have you ever done everything you can to be a good parent and your kids still end up rebelling? Maybe you poured everything you have into a relationship for just to end out of nowhere. I'm telling you, nothing is more frustrating than whenever you do all the right things and nothing seems to go the right way. And I believe Joseph knew exactly what that was like. Now, Joseph, he had a lot of good things going for him. He had a good job. His carpentry business was starting to take off. He was well-respected in the community, and to top it all off, he was betrothed to the lovely young Mary. Now, like we explained last week, this betrothal period is very similar to our engagement period in our day and age. However, this was still a legally binding season of life, so they would have had to still get a divorce to break off this engagement. But this was a 12-month period, and during this time, Joseph, he'd be out working very hard to build their house. It was most commonly an addition to his family's house. He'd be working really hard to get all their finances together so they could transition smoothly into marriage when the time came. Joseph, he sounds like a guy who's responsible, he's smart, he's doing all of the right things. And then one day he goes to visit Mary. He misses her. He doesn't get to see her that much during this time. And she'd actually just been gone for the past three months visiting her cousin Elizabeth. He wants to see her, give her some updates on how things are going and all the anticipation of their new lives together. And I can imagine Joseph almost floating on air as he's walking down the side road going to see his beloved betrothed. That sounded right to say in that way. <laughs> I can see him picking a flower for Mary, trying to be sweet on the road. Life's great. He's in love. Everything is coming together. And then he gets up to the door and he knocks. And her mom answers. And she seems a little off, but he doesn't think too much about it. And he says, hey, is Mary home? She says, it's not a good time. Now, that's a little odd. You know, people normally get excited when Joseph comes around. They're, her family is always obviously approved. That's why they're getting married. And so Joseph starts to think through all the things he possibly could have done wrong, and he just can't figure out why he would be getting treated this way. But then he sees Mary through a crack in the door, and he opens it up and says, Mary? And what Joseph sees next brings his entire world crashing down around him. Mary's pregnant. What? How? Who? He's flustered and confused. Now, he's not the father. He knows that. That's simple biology. And I can only imagine the sickening feeling that Joseph gets in the pit of his stomach whenever he finds out that Mary's pregnant. Now, at this point in time, he doesn't know that Mary has the unborn Messiah in her womb, but how could she tell him that? You know, she probably figured he would leave. He wouldn't understand. She knows how crazy the situation sounds. She figures he's going to leave. And so she just 
waits for his outburst of rage. But that's not how Joseph responds. Now keep in mind that at this point, all Joseph knows is that Mary is pregnant and he is not the father. Common sense tells him that she cheated. She was unfaithful in some way. And he had every right to be completely upset and make a public spectacle of her infidelity. In fact, at this point in time in history, he would have been within his legal rights to have her stoned to death for this. But in our day and age, no one would have blamed him if he would have blasted her on social media, vented on Instagram, or let everyone know how hurt he was and why. But, the Bible says, Joseph was a just man. can also be translated, he was a righteous man. And how this passage describes Joseph is the reason why he is one of my greatest heroes throughout the entire biblical narrative. Look at the way the New Living Translation paraphrases this verse. In verse 19 it says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. That word righteous means to be right with God. It can also be translated the way one ought to be or to reflect the heart of God, which is to say that even in the midst of his confusion and frustration, Joseph was a man that would reflect the heart of God no matter what the circumstance was. Even though he was hurting, he didn't want to hurt her back. He didn't want to slander her. In his mind, he had done everything right, yet his relationship still failed and he was still betrayed. But Joseph did not allow his emotions to dictate his decisions. Can we take a second to think about what our society would look like if we did not allow our emotions to dictate our decisions? What would our personal lives look like if we didn't let our emotions dictate our reactions? What would he look like if we really applied that to ourselves? Now, because that's normally the number one excuse we have for acting the way we do. Well, I'm mad, so I acted this way. Or I'm sad, so I acted this way. It was only natural. But what if we acted in a way that just reflected the heart of God no matter how we were feeling? What would that kind of life look like? And you know the way that Joseph handled himself, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of whenever Peter described our Savior in 1 Peter 2 when he said, Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge whenever he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You know, no matter how badly someone hurts or betrays me, my relationship with that person can only be broken if I retaliate. Bridges are only burned if I start to fight. I learned early on in life that my relationships with other people are going to be mostly dependent upon me. And I had to own that. And if I have a disagreement with someone, the problem's only going to last as long as I allow it to. That's why Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, side note, to be clear, I'm not talking about abusive relationships here. And I don't know if it's very pastoral of me to say, but if anyone is in a relationship that's either verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive, you need to burn that bridge and get out of that relationship without hesitation. However, for those of us in less extreme circumstances, there might be some of us that need to hear this around the holidays right now. There might be some of us who won't be spending this special season with former friends or loved ones because of something that happened. And if we really took a step back and looked at it from an eternal perspective, we might realize that the situation was kind of petty. It wasn't that important. Our relationships suffer 
Whenever we allow our emotions to dictate our reactions and causes us to lose years upon years worth of relationships that should mean more to us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconcile means to reestablish a relationship. Now, first and foremost, that ministry involves us doing everything we can to help people reestablish a relationship with their heavenly father. However, if you think about it, how can we effectively help people establish spiritual relationships if we can't effectively establish earthly relationships? And we need more people who are unwilling to put others to shame. We need more Christians who are unwilling to burn bridges. We need more Christians who will handle our situations quietly, which is very countercultural in our day and age. We need more people who are willing to reflect the heart of God no matter how we're feeling, as we see as the example in Joseph. He was going to handle his situation quietly. Now, some might argue that he wanted to do it quietly because he was worried about his own reputation. He was worried about how people were going to think about him. But that's not what the passage states. Look at verse 19 again. It says he was unwilling to put her to shame. The New Living Translation said he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. Even in the midst of his hurt and betrayal, he still put her above himself. He knew that her life was going to be hard enough as a single mom. He didn't want to add fuel to the fire. So he decided he was going to still leave, but he was going to break off the engagement quietly. And as he's thinking through the arrangements, his plans get interrupted. Matthew 1 goes on to say in verse 20, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm a little frustrated right now. Are you serious? You could have told me this earlier. I've been going through torture over here. But, you know, that's how God works sometimes. He gives us opportunities to handle ourselves with character in difficult and confusing times. And that's exactly how we're supposed to see those types of situations in our lives, as opportunities. Paul once stated in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now that word hope in the biblical sense can be translated confidence. And because of the confidence that we can have in Jesus, we can handle ourselves with character and endure even in the midst of suffering. See, this is why I think God was just as intentional about choosing Joseph to be the earthly father figure in Jesus' life as he would have been in choosing Mary to be his earthly mother. Because all of this shows that Joseph was a proven man of character. When everything seemed to go wrong, Joseph still chose to handle himself with character. And because of that character, the hope for his relationship with Mary could still be intact. Let me explain. Think about it. Imagine Joseph completely lost it whenever he found out that Mary was pregnant. Say he went to social media and vented like a disgruntled teenager. Say he ran around town telling everyone about how, her, how unfaithful she was and how unfair it was to him. Say he took up the offer to have her killed. There would be no hope for their relationship after he got the full picture. On one hand, she'd be dead. That'd be awkward. On the other hand, he would have shown himself a completely unreliable person who Mary could have no confidence in during the long, hard life that would come with raising the Son of God. No pressure there, right? However, due to the character, heart, and compassion that Joseph showed, against all reason, 
Mary was able to confidently continue her relationship with him once he got the full picture and accepted his role in the upbringing of the Savior of the world. So it gets better, right? I wish I could say they lived happily ever after and they were all reconciled and everything was all sunshine and rainbows from here on out. But actually, once Joseph accepted his new role and continued his relationship with Mary, that was actually just the beginning of the hardships. Since Joseph continued his engagement, he was now going to be a part of the label. Right? Everyone was going to think they were immoral. They got pregnant out of wedlock or that Mary was unfaithful and Joseph was just too weak to do something about it. And especially in that day and age and in that culture, that would have been excruciatingly shameful for them. So now they had to live with the looks, the snide remarks, the disapproving stares of older women. Who knows if their families would even understand their situation. But nevertheless, Joseph allows himself to be someone that Mary can lean on and share in the trouble with. And I, I feel like Joseph was a provider and a protector. He's the type of guy that gets things done. He's going to take care of Mary no matter what. He's shown that during the beginning of their engagement by being responsible, and he showed it in the way that he handled himself during the surprise pregnancy. But still, that was just the beginning. In the start of Luke chapter 2, Joseph, he needs to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, his hometown, to register him, himself, and his soon-to-be wife and child. Because Joseph's people, the Jews, they had been under foreign occupation for a while now. And the Roman Empire wanted to keep a close eye on all of their subjects, so they make everyone go back to their hometowns to be registered and to pay taxes. Now, this is going to be about a 70-mile journey for Joseph and his pregnant fiance. And keep in mind, they have no cars, no planes, no trains, no segways, no hoverboards, none of that, right? They most likely just had one donkey. And this would have been about a four or five day journey normally. But Joseph is traveling with a woman who was nine months pregnant and could pop at any moment. And if you have spent any time around a woman who was very pregnant in stressful situations, you can imagine what this journey could have been like. And yes, I'm really glad my wife is not here today to hear me make that comment. <laughs> but Joseph, he's a provider. He's on a mission. They're going to be there. Mary's going to get there, and she's going to be as comfortable as she possibly can be, and they're going to make good time because every man on the road trip is all about making good time. Amen? <laughs> but Joseph doesn't make good time. <laughs> he cringes a little bit every single time they have to stop for a pee break or a rest. But he keeps his composure. Now when they finally get to Bethlehem, the journey's now over. They can finally get a room and relax. They got there a little late, but still, there's one inn that luckily still has the light on. So he goes in there, flops his arms up on the counter, says, one room, please. Says, sorry, sir, um, we're completely booked. Excuse me? Say that again to my face, <laughs> right? Don't you see, I have a very pregnant woman here with me. I'm sorry, sir. Um, we're completely full. We don't have any rooms available. Is there anything you can do? I'm sorry, sir. There's nothing that I can do. Back to problem-solving mode for Joseph. There's no room for them to stay in. So he begins to look around. Now, his next move is debated by many scholars, but it's also one of those pointless debates that doesn't add or take away from the story at all. You know, it's just an argument for people to argue theologians, right? But Joseph ended up going to one of two places. It was either a cave where animals would take shelter 
or it was a stable on the first floor connected to the inn. In either case, he found shelter in a community gathering place for animals. This is not the ideal location, but they were exhausted. There's some soft hay in there that could be somewhat comfortable, so they get settled in. He makes sure Mary's as warm and as comfortable as she can be, and then he gets himself settled. And just as he tries to lay down and get some much-needed rest, he hears a grunt from Mary. And yep, of course, at this moment, as inconvenient as it could possibly be, Mary goes into labor. Back to problem-solving mode again. Joseph's a carpenter. He's not a doctor. He doesn't know what to do in this situation, but he's doing the best that he can. He says, uh, okay, babe, just breathe in and out, in and out. <laughs> here, squeeze my hand. Ah, that was a bad idea. Right? Saying anything you can. Here, here you go, babe, just push. You're doing so great. You look so beautiful. You're amazing. You're a goddess. I love you, blah, blah, blah. But, of course, there's no epidurals at this point in time, so everything he says makes Mary just want to punch him in the face. But he's doing the best he possibly can. And before they knew it, the baby Jesus was delivered, and now Joseph is holding the God child in his hands. And we can romanticize this scene all that we want, but Joseph has to be freaking out in this moment. He doesn't know what to do with the baby, so he, he hands the baby back to Mary. And then he watches Mary, who's such a trooper, after the long journey and the inconvenient labor, she still has the wherewithal to pull a small cloth out of her bag and wrap the baby Jesus up and lay him down in the manger. And now we can almost hear the collective awe of everyone hearing this story. But that was not what was going through Joseph's mind. The word manger, it sounds cute and all, but do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. If you Google the word manger, the definition will come up, a long open box of trough for horses or cattle to eat from. That's not where you want to lay your baby in. And Joseph, if I'm Joseph, I'm, I'm stepping back. I'm looking at this entire scene. There was the surprise pregnancy. There are the labels they had to deal with. The long journey. There's no room for them in the end. The inconvenient labor. And now the holy son of God is laying in a box that animals eat from. This is not the way things were supposed to go. This is not how Joseph had it planned out. And no matter how hard he worked, how hard he tried, nothing seemed to go the right way. Everything seemed just to get more difficult and harder. Is this it? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever fallen victim to your expectations? Dreaming of the way that you think something is going to turn out, but whenever you get there, it's nothing like what you expected it to be. You spent so much time in excitement and anticipation that the, just the thought of something going wrong was so foreign to you. You weren't prepared for this. Is this it, God? Now, you might find yourself crying this out from time to time, and that's okay. God's not threatened by our frustration. He actually understands it. He was born right into the middle of it. He feels what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through, and he loves it whenever you talk to him about it. And no matter what your circumstance may look like. Here's the main point for today. You can never measure the presence of God in your life based on your present circumstances. Right now, things may seem pretty hopeless. Right now, things might seem to be a mess. You might be thinking about your faithfulness, how you feel like you've obeyed God every single step of the way, but yet everything still seems to be out of place. You might be thinking, this isn't what I've been expecting. I wasn't supposed to get sick. My parents were supposed to split up. 
We weren't supposed to lose a loved one that soon. I'm not supposed to be struggling this much. But you see, God never promised an easy life. In fact, in John 16, he told us that in this life we would have trouble. He said in three of his Gospels that people would hate us because of our faith. We're told in 1 Peter not to get surprised whenever things get difficult. He never promised us a smooth road, but what he did promise was to never leave us or forsake us. He did promise to be with us even to the end of the age. He promised to abide with us forever and to not leave us as orphans. And he gave us the hope that this world is not our home. You see, hurt, sickness, pain, lost, all of that exists because sin exists. And God hasn't completely wiped sin out yet because he'd have to wipe all of us out with it. And there will come a day where all sin and evil is expelled. And there will come a new heaven and a new earth. But until that day comes, he's still giving as many people the opportunity to choose him. That's why Peter says that he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. God says the whole reason that Jesus came was because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that life doesn't start whenever you leave this world. Because he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. That everlasting life starts right now, the moment we come to faith in him. And he won't keep us from difficult and hard times and hard seasons. But what he will do is hold our hand through it all. He'll walk side by side with us through anything. Well, side note, sorry guys, I'm getting off notes, but you ever stop to think, why did Jesus cry at Lazarus' tomb? John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most theologically profound statements in the entire New Testament. Jesus wept. Now, if you don't know the story, Jesus, he rose Lazarus from the dead. He rose him from the grave. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the victory that was about to take place. And yet he still took the time to cry with those who were hurting because of the loss. That's the type of God that we serve. He's never going to tell you, just suck it up. It's all going to be good at the end of it. He hurts when you're hurting. He cries when you cry. He feels what you feel. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. I'll get back to the notes now. He promised that he'll be there for us to lean on him for comfort and for strength and support. And whenever things go awry, do we just go into problem-solving mode, try to take matters into our own hands, Or do I turn to the author and perfecter of my faith? Now, this is much easier said than done. I know. But even when we try to take matters into our own hands, God is so gracious that he still will not leave us to our own devices. He will still find ways to let you know that you're not alone. You're doing better than you think you are. And he's a lot closer than you think he is. Let's put ourselves back in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Imagine being him. He has a woman and a brand new little baby boy to take care of, and he has nowhere for them to go, no place for them to stay. I can't imagine him not feeling at least some sense of failure at this moment. I mean, most people would feel like they let God down in some way. He couldn't get them a room, and now the child who's supposed to be the king of the Jews is now resting in a box that animals eat from. I don't know, maybe Joseph had rock-solid faith and he didn't waver the entire time. Or he was a normal human being and he allowed doubt to creep in a little bit. Maybe he began to think, this is just too much. This whole son of God thing, that just seems a little bit of a stretch. Maybe he started to think that that dream he had was just a dream, the angel talking to him. 
Maybe he started to examine the baby's face to see if he looked like anyone he knew. Maybe the stress of the situation caused him to doubt if God was looking out for them at all. We're human. We doubt. We question our faith at times, and that doesn't make you a bad Christian. I've actually heard it said that we need more, we need more Christians who care enough about their faith to question it. Because we don't just take whatever's said into a microphone or written down in a book. We actually need to embark on this journey of faith for ourselves. And I'm telling you, a step of faith will never make sense until you take it. If it made sense before, it wouldn't take faith. <laughs> and once you take that step of faith, God will not leave you hanging. Because whenever doubt creeps in, he finds ways to affirm you to let you know that he's there. But we have to humble ourselves in such a way where we will be willing to receive the message. Just whenever Joseph's mind starts to wander into doubt, he hears someone, else, someone approaching. He's probably thinking, oh, crap, we're going to get kicked out. And then he goes to check it out, but it's just a group of shepherds. They're making their ways. Oh, great. It's just shepherds. They're not going to tell us or anything. But he meets them at the door. He says, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but this spot's taken. You know, like we've had a really long night, a really long journey. We actually just had a baby, so we kind of need a moment. They say, oh, we know. So, oh, man, were we really that loud? We need to keep it down. I'm really sorry. Does everyone know? He said, no, 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 no. Then these shepherds go on to tell him about how they were in their fields watching over their sheep. A huge angel appeared to them out of nowhere. They started freaking out, but then the angel told them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that would be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then they go on to tell them about how then there were hundreds of angels who appeared in the, in the sky, and they were all singing these praises to God. And then they tell them about the journey that they took to come see this specific baby boy in this specific place. Now, if I'm Joseph, boom, that's it. All doubt smashed, at least for the moment. There's no questioning that they were within the will of God, and that baby is exactly who God says he is. Joseph, he must have had a roller coaster of emotions, but at that moment, doubt was not one of them anymore. Would he ever doubt again? Probably. But for now, he had all the confirmation that he needed. God didn't leave him wondering and guessing. It had been a really long, hard few days and even months, but God was going to show that he was in control, and he had Joseph and Mary in his hands even when they weren't feeling it. Troubling times are coming, church. Hard times are inevitable, but whenever we walk with God and follow him, he will find ways to smash our doubt and remind us of who he is. But, you have to be willing to receive the confirmation. We can't afford to be a victim of your expectations. Just sit around and wait for what you want to hear. Don't let pride get in the way of letting a child speak truth to you. Allow yourself to be comforted by the faith of your spouse, no matter how familiar you are with each other. Don't become callous to receiving a word from the Lord in the church service. Don't overlook the random encouraging texts from a friend or a family member, that person who keeps reaching out to the point that they start annoying you. <laughs> we have to remember to focus more on him and not ourselves and how we feel. And whenever we do that, we'll realize that he will never leave us alone. He'll always have room for us. He will provide even when nothing is what we expect it to be. He's never going to be far away. In fact, He'll be right there at our side the entire time. 
And all we have to do is intentionally recognize and remind ourselves that he's there. And so our final point for today is that finding peace in the chaos comes only, it comes only, church, from focusing on his presence. And in Joseph's case, if he was really looking for the presence of God in his situation, he needed only to look down on that little trough. And this is the message and meaning of Christmas. And this is actually what separates Christianity and the message of Jesus from every other religion on the planet. Because verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 1 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. Because every other religion is all about keeping up with some sort of tradition, rules, or customs in order to try to make our way a little bit closer to God. However, the reality is there's nothing we could ever do to get to God. He's too holy, too perfect, too righteous. There is nothing we could ever do to get to him, so he came to us. Like the old song says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. My sin had separated me from him, but he chose to come in in the form of a child destined for a cross that would bridge the gap that sin had created between God and man forever. And because he was born physically, I can be born spiritually. Because he rose from that grave physically, I can rise eternally. That baby boy came and grew and lived a perfect, sinless life and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross so that now you and I could have life and life abundantly right now and for the rest of eternity. And all we have to do is just receive it and accept it like a gift on Christmas morning. Because I firmly believe with all of my being that all of the hope, all of the character, all of the peace, all of the joy and the perspective that I could ever want in this life is wrapped up perfectly in the person of Jesus. That too many people know that, but they'll just leave them wrapped up. It's like knowing what you got for Christmas, seeing the present wrapped under the tree and just leaving it there, never opening it or experiencing it for yourself. Why do we do this? Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared that Jesus won't be what we expect him to be. God won't do what we expect him to do. And I'm telling you, he won't be what you expect him to be. And he won't do what you expect him to do. But I promise you, he'll be so much better than you ever expect. Don't leave Jesus wrapped up this Christmas. Open your heart to him. Even if you've been following him for decades, there's still more of him to unwrap. He wants to show you more of himself every day and teach you more about who he is and what he's done. And whenever we look back to the manger, whenever we look back to the cross and to that empty grave, we see more of his character. We see that even when we hurt and betrayed him, he still sought reconciliation. He didn't burn the bridge, he bridged the gap. Therefore, we can confidently know that he's been there the entire time. He's never missed a moment. Even at our lowest and most confusing states, he's been there in love waiting for us to call out to him and grab hold of his hand. So as you look back to the manger this holiday season, you can remember that because of that day, you can confidently know that he is here, he is with you, he's for you, he's closer than you think, and he's so much better than you can ever imagine. If you would in this moment bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of privacy and prayer. I'm going to have Jalisa and Michaela come back up, close us out in a time of worship. But before we get there, 
I want you to take the time to think over the course of your life. You think about the highs. You can think about the lows. Think about the hurt. Think about the loss. And this might sound strange, but just in your mind's eye, picture for a moment every single one of those scenes. Jesus was right there. He was right there by your side. Even when you wouldn't accept him. That's what makes the love of Jesus so crazy is that he even died for those who would never accept him. Just to give the opportunity meant enough to him. Man, that's a love I want to emulate. You know, he's been there the entire time. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, Kenny, I've, I've never had a relationship with Jesus, this whole Jesus, this church thing. It's just a little weird to me. I don't know how, what to make of it. But if you're feeling something stirring in you right now, you know, that's what we know to be the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're told if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is, is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are welcomed into his family starting right now and into all of eternity. And if you have never accepted that free gift of peace and eternal life, I beg of you, do not leave here today without calling Jesus your Lord and opening your heart to him. All it takes is accepting it, just praying something along the same lines of, Jesus, I know you came, you were born, you died for me. I want you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. All you have to do is cry out to him in your own words. And, and if you want to make that decision today, you want to make that, that prayer to him, you can find me. You can find anyone wearing a lanyard. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. You can fill out a connect card on your way out. You can give it to me. You can drop it in the black box, and we can get back to you discreetly. Whatever you want to do, don't leave here today without telling someone today's the day that you're giving your life to Christ. And for all of us, Father, in this room, I pray we would truly open up ourselves to you. I pray this Christmas season, Father, that we would become more aware of your presence than we ever had before in our life. I pray you, you take us into a deeper understanding of who you are, how good you are, how much you love us. I pray we wouldn't get callous of all the traditions and all the stories, but I pray that these biblical truths would truly come alive to us. And, Father, I pray we wouldn't keep it to ourselves. Father, I pray that we would have the boldness and the confidence to share the hope that we have in you, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. I pray that what happens in this room would not stay in this room, Father. Thank you for being so good to us. I pray for a body of believers that really believe what they believe and that show it to the world. Let us be that city on a hill that can't be hidden. Let your light shine through us. Love this world through us, Lord. We can't manufacture your love on your own. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, man, you guys go ahead and stand.